We're going to um, continue uh, with our look at the book of Nehemiah and continue our studies. And I found it a fascinating book. I've learned so much because there's so much richness in the story that I think we can draw parallels with ourselves as a church. And what is uh, abundantly clear is that Nehemiah didn't have an easy time. When he obeyed the call of God, when he went, when he asked the king and he went and he turned his back on all that was familiar and he stepped out into the unknown, when he obeyed the call of God, how often do we think, well, this is going to be good because God's told me to do it and God's with me and it's going to be great. And it can be, and very often it is. But every so often, there's a, there's a stone in the road. Every so often, there's a, a blockage. Every so often, there's things that go on which frustrate the purposes of God, which don't seem to fit with uh, the, the promises of God that, that we have received. And we heard last week the amazing sermon by Justin on chapter 4. And it was all about opposition from without. And we could just have a little look at uh, some of these points now. So Justin talked us through how when Nehemiah was going to build, that everybody seemed to be against him and fight against him. And chapter 5 deals with conflict from within. Not only was he having problems from without an opposition, but he was dealing with conflict from within the people of God. I'll just give you a short summary of what he was facing, and then we'll go into uh, a number of verses in chapter 5. And I'll just read some selected verses, uh, because time is against us. The problem was that the, the wealthy Jews were exploiting the poor. You wouldn't think it, would you? They were all the people of God. They were all called. They were all chosen to build. They'd all signed up and said, no, we're going to build this city. We're going to build this wall. But the wealthy Jews took advantage of the poor. The poor were forced to mortgage their fields, their homes, their vineyards, just to get food. That's how dire the circumstances were. Just to eat, the poor had to, to really just hand over all that they had to the rich in order to, to, to have food. And this was in complete disregard to the law of Moses. Because in Exodus 22 and verse 25, in Deuteronomy 23 and verse 19, the Israelites were told, if your brother Israelite is in need, lend them money, but not at interest. Just give them the money and they will pay it back when they can. Extracting interest and gaining from a fellow Israelite was forbidden in the law of Moses. But the rich Jews completely disregarded that. They were charging interest, about 12% per annum, so it wasn't a low interest loan. They were making a lot of money off the backs of the poor. And it was worse because as security for those loans, they were taking the sons and daughters of the poor into slavery. They were, they were destroying families for their own gain. 
as collateral for their loans, they would break up families and that the children of the poor would serve them as slaves. This was heartless. It was putting their own gain above those uh, of others, their brothers and sisters. And this great sin affected the work because there was disunity. There was anger. There was all sorts of things going on. There were all sorts of subplots because sin was impacting the call and the purposes of God. They had no regard for how it hurt others and they had no regard for the vision of building the wall. That was secondary as far as they were concerned. It was their own gain, what they put first. And that's the background. That's, that's a terrible story. That's a terrible situation. That's awful. We would condemn it now today. But you can see how real the impact was on the call of God. It was destroying the work. It was causing disunity. So, having given you the background, let's just look in chapter 5. And I'm just going to read verses 6 to 8 so that we can understand what Nehemiah did. So, chapter 5 and verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. They had redeemed the poor. They brought them back to build the wall. And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Now when we... When we confront things like that, there are a number of responses. Now, Nehemiah could have thought, this, this is easier to do nothing. Let's just placate. Let's pacify. Let's just talk to everybody. Let's just ask them to be nice to each other. And let's just move on. Because Nehemiah's call was to build the wall. It was easier to do nothing. It was easier to turn a blind eye because it's difficult and it's uncomfortable to confront, especially the rich and the powerful. They, they were a group. They were a block of influence, of wealth. And if Nehemiah upset them, they could destroy the work. They could, they could withdraw their money. They could withdraw... Uh, their support, they could agitate against him. There was a lot at stake. They could have used their power and influence to cause damage. The work of God may well have been the casualty. Nehemiah could have stalled for time. He could have said, this is so wrong, this is terrible. But if I can just get us over the line, if I can just get the walls built, then I'll deal with it. He didn't do any of that. Nehemiah tackled it head on. Nehemiah called them out. Nehemiah rebuked those that were doing wrong. He had no regard for persons. 
sin is sin and wrong is wrong. Sin destroys. Sin eats away. Sin is self first and God last. Sin creates enmity. It creates disunity. And that's what Nehemiah was facing. What would he do? He would do what was right. He was a man of integrity. And that, I think, is a challenge for all of us. That in this society that we live, whatever God has called us to do, do we walk with integrity? Do we walk in holiness? Do we do the right thing? Do we honor God? Let's have a look at some modern application from some verses in the New Testament. Actually, there's one in the old, I'd forgotten. Joshua, when they were going in to take the land, said, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. He didn't say, come as you are. He said, purify yourselves, because God is coming. The holy, the righteous, the God of light, in whom dwells no darkness, he's coming, and he's going to do great things. Purify yourself. Make sure you're living right. Make sure your heart is good. Make sure your heart is pure, not only to God, but to others. Purify yourselves. And that was Nehemiah's passion, that sin was wrong, and it had to be dealt with. Hebrews chapter 12 let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. Let us run. Let us run in God. Let us run as we pursue the purposes and the plans of God. There is a sense of when you're in God's will and doing God's purposes, there is a sense of running in the Spirit, of doing His work. Sometimes it's a plod. But when God shows up, there is a running. There is an excitement. There is a, a joy. And this is something that we must apply to our lives. We must allow the light of God to shine His holiness and project into our hearts. Are we pleasing in His sight? Are we confronting and dealing with our wrong? dealing with our sin. You see, the vision is great. The task is huge. And we must be effective. And we must be useful to God. And just as in the story in chapter 5, there was sin in the camp. And Nehemiah had to deal with it. So we, as we are pursuing God, as we are receiving His call and His purposes for our lives and for the life of this church, there must be a purity and a holiness in us as well. We must not be the blockage. We must not be that person whose sin is causing us to be ineffective. We all need to be shoulder to shoulder, moving on in God. And I just urge each and every one of us, I challenge my own heart. What is the condition of my heart? 
What am I thinking? What am I saying? What am I doing? What am I thinking of others? What am I doing for others, about others? All these things I must put under the spotlight of God's grace and God's holiness. And just as Nehemiah had this huge task, and it was made so much harder by the opposition and the conflict from within, the sin that had grown up in the people, it had to be dealt with. And so we must deal with our hearts and with our sin. The vision, the task, what God is going to do is amazing, is incredible. God wants to save. God wants to heal. God wants to restore. God wants to make new. How many times have we said he wants to take broken lives and make them new? And that's what he wants to do for Tongwin Lice. And that's what he wants to do for all the land around us. God wants us to reach out into the community and be his eyes and ears and mouth and hands and feet. We can make a difference. But make sure, make sure you're pure. Make sure you're not holding sin. Make sure there's no ulterior motives. Make sure that we are at peace with God and we're living a life that is righteous and holy before him. I'm not saying be perfect. We won't be perfect this side of glory. But what I am saying is keep that sensitivity, that, that just knowledge that things aren't right and we put it right. The other day, I was walking. I'd done my boots up. It's a bit of an effort to get these boots on. And as I walked, I discovered that there was a little stone in my boot. Now, I thought I could get away with it. I thought I'd be okay. I thought, oh, it's too much effort now to take this boot off. All those laces. No, I'm just going to walk. What a miserable time I had. Because I knew the stone was there. Even when it wasn't sticking in my foot, I knew the stone was there. And ultimately, I had to stop. I had to take my boot off. I had to remove the stone. And then I could walk. But more importantly, I wouldn't have enjoyed running before. But when the stone was removed, I could have run if I wanted to. But that's, that's sin. That's that sensitivity. You, you know the Spirit of God will tell you when there's something that's not right. And just have that humility of heart to put it right. Okay, let's, let's move on with the story. So... Not only was, was Nehemiah a man of integrity, but he walked in integrity. The walk is also important. It's not just the heart, it's the walk. It's what is the outpouring of the heart into the day-to-day, -day, what we do in our lives. So I'm just going to read uh, verses 14 to 19. And this is um, Nehemiah's testimony, I guess, to, to what he feels is important to him and, and why he acted in integrity and did what he did. So verse 14. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, that's 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people, 
and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate my, at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Nehemiah set a personal example. And we're just going to have a little look uh, briefly at the characteristics of integrity and what he did to walk in integrity. Nehemiah walked in humility, and we can see that very clearly from this passage. He laid aside his rights. He was fully within his rights to demand what a governor should. But he said, no, I will take no advantage. He actually fed and helped others at his own expense. He paid for it out of his own pocket. He suffered loss for others. He rightly could have demanded all the money, all the food, all the wine. He could have taxed people as governor, but he chose not to. He modeled humility. That wonderful verse in Romans 12 that we looked at on the weekend away. Love one another in honor, preferring one another. Putting the other first. Suffering loss so that the other can be blessed. That, that heart of humility, even though he was the governor, even though he was leading the people, his integrity and his walk showed what integrity was all about. He did the right thing, and he was humble. And I just have a sense that as we are moving on in God, as, as we are reaching out, as we are mobilizing, Humility will be key to the unity of the Spirit here. That we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but we love one another, we prefer one another. There is a deference. There is a serving one another, which is so New Testament. And it was so Nehemiah. Because it's just saying, Lord, you've called me, and I'm going to just be humble, and I'm going to put others first. And that means suffering insults. That means being misunderstood. That means a whole host of things. But for a humble heart, that's not important because you're honoring the king and you're honoring God. So suffer loss for the sake of Christ in our interactions with each other, in our ministry, in our service. We honor the king. And it's that spirit of humility which is so important as we move forward. Nehemiah never forgot his calling. He served God and he cared for the people. He saw the people through God's eyes. 
And that's how we must see each other. It's putting on, it's putting on our glasses of calling. It's putting on our glasses so that we see each other as God sees us. Through love and through compassion and through tenderness and mercy. Even when everything within you is angry and insulted and resentful and I'm going to tell them, remember your calling. Put your glasses on. See them as God sees them. Children of God. And whether they've done right or wrong, it's that humility and that sense of calling will keep us together, will keep us focused in the right direction. In Nehemiah, the work suffered because sin had gone in and he dealt with it. And so must we not give sin and resentment an inch because it will destroy the unity of the Spirit and what God wants us to do. In verse 15, he feared God. He reverenced God. That was his calling. He was there because God had called him and it was out of respect and reverence to God. And because of that, he was concerned for the people because he saw them with God's eyes. And he could see that the people were burdened and troubled and he didn't demand. He loved them. And so must we. We must remember why we do what we do and we must remember who we do it for. Why we do what we do and who we do it for. And if we can keep that close, if we can keep that in our hearts, then God can move and God can bless. Where there is unity, the Spirit of the Lord commands the blessing. That sense of just oneness in Christ is what the Spirit looks for. Not discord, not anger, not infighting. The Spirit of the God where he sees unity commands the blessing. And Nehemiah was a man of vision, wasn't he? He, he was humble with his dealings with people. He, he knew he served God. His calling was secure. But his vision didn't slip for one moment. You would have thought that having had this opposition from without that we read in chapter 4, the conflict from within in chapter 5, Nehemiah could be tempted to take a time out. Whoa, let's just put the schedule back. Let's just, let's just take this a bit easy, shall we? Nehemiah didn't skip a beat. Nehemiah kept going. Nehemiah kept the main thing, the main thing. He was committed to the work. He devoted himself to what God had asked him to do. The building of the wall was his vision. And he was not distracted. And he was not in it for himself. I don't know if you picked up in the passage, but he, he tells the rich and powerful, I didn't buy any land for myself. I, I didn't put my own gain first. You will see on the, these property programs, location, location, location. They buy in up-and-coming areas. They buy cheap when the area is not quite ready. And then it develops, and then their property prices goes up. Jerusalem was in ruins. Property was cheap. There's nothing to have. Nehemiah could have bought up land, and when the walls went up, he could have been a very rich man. But that wasn't his vision. Nehemiah's vision wasn't to bless himself, wasn't to be rich, wasn't to prosper. 
Nehemiah's vision was to do what God had asked him to do. Keep your focus. No conflict of priorities. Who do you serve? We've said before, who is on the throne of your life? Is it Jesus Christ or is it yourself? Because it must be one or the other. And Nehemiah was steadfast. Nehemiah had vision. And vision was everything. He wasn't caring about the land. He wasn't buying up stuff so he could be rich. No distractions. Nehemiah was steadfast. Nehemiah did what God had asked him to do and focused on the work. And very quickly, servanthood. He was servant-hearted. This is what integrity means in the nitty-gritty. Humility, calling, vision, servant-heartedness. He was a governor. Nehemiah was appointed by the king of Persia to be a governor of an area. That's a high calling. That's an important job. That's a big, big role. He was made. He was reached the pinnacle. He was a, a cupbearer. He was a caterer who became a governor. God had blessed him and exalted him and anointed him. But he was a governor with perspective because he worked for God's approval. Nehemiah wasn't looking for man's applause, but he was looking for God's well done. And that is ultimately how we must serve. Matthew Henry, in his wonderful commentary, says this, Nehemiah reckoned the favor of God enough. That was enough for him. Not the praise of man, not riches, not commendation, but it was God. And that was enough for him. God's favor. And it's, it's not about consensus. It's not about keeping everybody happy because if Nehemiah had done that, the building of the wall would have suffered. He tackled it head on. I tell you what it is. It's about keeping God happy. That's our calling. Keeping God happy. Blessing God. Exalting God. And making God everything. We should labor for God's approval and reckon it enough. So what does, what does this mean for us? There is a personal application that we must be people of integrity. There is a personal application that we must walk in integrity. That this sense of humility and calling and vision and servanthood are ours by right. Ours by right. And what will we do with them? How will we walk? Well, it's, it's not just a heart thing. It's a physical walk as well, isn't it? If your heart is one thing and your actions are another, then there's a disconnect. There's something that's wrong. Our actions reflect our heart. It's about prayer and focus that God is our strength. God is our power. God is our glory. We must seek him. Hold on to him. So when, when we're in the dentist's surgery and opportunities present themselves, we step into it in the power of God. When we're in the spa, when we're, we're in the coffee shop, and things open up for us, 
when we see people on the street. The power of God. Prayer and focus. Not being distracted. Not saying, well, actually, I'm far too busy. I'm far too busy to talk to this person now. I'll do it again. Sitting in a dentist surgery, um, the last thing on my mind is anything other than what's going to face me. But in an inconvenient moment, God broke in. May we have those encounters. But if we're to hear from God, there must be a walk that is pure. There must be a hatred of sin and just a, a desire to be clean before God. To hear from God. That must be our passion and that must be our focus. The strength of this church is God has got us everywhere. We're all over this community. We're all over this land. Monday to Friday, we all speak to different people. We all connect with different things. But we are Christ's ambassadors. And it's that purity and that just openness to God, which is what he's looking for. God is our strength, and our eyes are on him alone. And then, of course, that unity and love, which signifies that we are the children of God. Oh, how they loved one another. That was the New Testament experience. It's that the love of God was just transforming churches, transforming people, changing them. They were overflowing. They were loved by God and they were overflowing with that love to one another. Humility and servanthood, hand in hand. May God challenge us. May God bless us. May God help us to do His will and purpose. To all of us stand up. To all of us say, I will follow Christ. I will honor God. Monday to Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and all over again. It's just that purity and that walk with God that we can be a channel of His grace and used for His glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Your Word. I thank You for the example of Nehemiah. I thank You, Lord, that he was not distracted, that he, he did not concern himself with, with things that were not important, that he kept the main thing the main thing, and I pray, Lord God, that uh, for each and every heart here, whatever you're putting on us to do, whatever you're asking us to do, Lord, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us, Lord, to be humble. Help us, Lord, to have that sense of calling, to carry, Lord, that vision in our hearts. And, Lord, that, that servant-heartedness, Lord, that we would serve others and, uh, and acknowledge and bless others, even at our own expense. Lord, I pray that we will be a community of grace and, Lord, a community where purity and holiness and honoring you, Lord, is, is, is our, our banner. Lord, help us not to forget or to fail in that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.